Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host today, Matt Flipovitz, and I am joined by my co-host who has changed shirts in the seven minutes since we last recorded, Mr. Craig Fritz. Craig, hello. How are you? I'm pretty displeased that you didn't pretend this was a, just a, like a different day and we're all wearing like it's normal for me to not don a hat and wear a different shirt. <laughs> Well, I did 45 I did, minutes after our last recording. I did give away the game by sharing that we were recording this uh, on our linebacker preview back to back. And if you haven't listened to that yet, be sure to go back, take a look at that. We previewed a crazy talented Penn State linebacker room yesterday. And today, Craig, we're talking Penn State's corners. For a long time, maybe the Achilles heel of the Penn State defense was the Penn State secondary as a whole. And Terry Smith in year 10 has built this room up to become, in my opinion, one of the best cornerback rooms in the Big Ten. Craig, do you think it's fair to say Terry Smith has taken this unit to heights you did not think possible? For as long as they were kind of, you know, middle of the road, serviceable, you know, you had that group with Grant Haley and Christian Campbell with some draft picks and, um, but, you know, guys that, were kind of like fringe Sunday talent to having um, Kalen King and Joey Porter Jr. and Johnny Dixon, uh, no fly zone, and we're you know flapping our wings. Do you like that? And... Do you like the the no fly, the flapping celebration? I think it's so hilarious when thing. defensive tackles do it. Right, because they're beefy boys. But my <laughs> like. I don't, I don't think every unit needs to have its own celebration, but Penn State's really leaned into this one in particular, um, and they're really freaking good. They were ridiculous last year, and I. so from that perspective, I am of the opinion you let them do whatever they want because they're um, game wreckers. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, let's start off by recapping the room last year. So the alpha dog here was Joey Porter Jr., who went on to become – a technical second round pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The streak of not having a Penn State defensive back drafted in the first round lives on for another year. But Joey Porter Jr. totaled 27 tackles and 11 pass breakups. Keep in mind, he did miss some time with what I believe was officially announced as a, um, oh my God, appendicitis. I almost said torn Achilles. Very different, very different injuries. Both start with an A. <laughs> Um, but it was appendicitis. He did miss some time, had to miss the Rose Bowl, uh, did get back in there for a like really modified reps against Michigan State on his senior day, I think really just to get in there one more time. Kalen King, I think, really emerged as one of the best corners in America. He finished the year with 30 tackles, three tackles for loss, three interceptions, and 18 pass breakups, which led Power 5. I think it was third in FBS behind a, one guy from Toledo, and who played an extra game with Toledo playing in the MAC title game and somebody from Middle Tennessee State. So in terms of, you know, high level, major FBS football, it was Kalen King in a league of his own. The number three guy then was Johnny Dixon, South Carolina transfer, taking advantage of his COVID year back for another year. But he totaled 23 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss. Weirdly, three sacks. He led the team in sacks for like all of September. It was so weird. Uh, two picks himself and then 10 pass breakups. And then you factor in Daquan Hardy out of the slot, 13 tackles, uh, a half tackle for a loss and a half sack. He also had one pick and four pass breakups. 
You lose from this room Marquise Wilson, who had 20 tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, and two pass breakups. And then Cam Miller, as a true freshman, burned his redshirt and totaled five tackles. So, Craig, what did you think of this room as a whole? I think this may have been Penn State's best defensive position last year. You can make a case it was safety, but I think this unit played as good a ball as anybody in the country last year. They were honestly a joy to watch. Um, I thought that they, you know, took over some games, like the Rose Bowl, for example, in my opinion, just anytime Utah started before Cam Rising's injury, of course, but anytime Utah started to get a little bit of momentum, you know, we're sorry for those listeners that <laughs> for can't see. Audio, yeah, for our audio. Yeah. For our audio fans. I was Craig flapping, just my, it. flapping my wings. <laughs> um, but you know, you look at the total pass breakups, you know, people dogged Joey Porter jr. For not intercepting balls, but you can, you can at three, me on this, Craig. I'm, I'm part of those people. You know, okay, so yes, he dropped a couple and would have made some game perhaps be more comfortable than others. But passes defended between the two of them, they had 29, and then you had Johnny Dixon. Your top three cornerbacks defended 39 passes on the season. That's absurd. I will say one thing I want to make sure, not not that I'm defending my probably abysmal Joey Porter Jr. takes in the immediate aftermath of Purdue. Uh, Our friend uh, Statso War Parker on Twitter did... I don't know how he kept track of it or how he charted this, but Penn State did lead the FBS ranks in dropped interceptions. So I'm not saying, you know, my original Joey Porter Jr. take after Purdue was accurate, but I think it was, it did, the numbers did kind of back it up that this group, although it defended a ton of balls, the secondary as a whole did drop a lot of interceptable passes. I'll just get in front of that a little bit. And just, you know, for context is not the right word. But they did the same thing in 2021. Mm-hmm. If you remember, like, the Illinois game. Yep. Tig dropped what probably would have been a pick six. I think they had five potential interceptions dropped in mm-hmm. a game that they lost in nine overtimes to, uh, you know, Revenge from your memory or whatever. Revenge but Revenge tour. A couple of those go your way, and it's a non-factor. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I watched a clip of the Big Ten road trip to Penn State and glowing Howard reviews Griffiths was glowing reviews. Of course. Um, I mean, this team is so talented, but Howard Griffith is interviewing Kalen King and goes back and says, tell me about this drill where Terry Smith takes a tennis ball and a tennis racket and just launches a tennis <laughs> ball a hundred feet into the air and you have to go catch it. And Kalen says it is the hardest drill that they do because they're wearing their, you know, they're wearing their gloves and they have to try to catch this tiny tennis ball coming down, affected by the wind and all these other things. But the point of it is to secure those. They're, they're getting to a point like Terry has created this drill with the goal of securing the interceptions when the ball is in the air, that they are going to fight for the ball and not just you know let it fall to the throat. Obviously, pass breakups are huge because they're big, high-risk reward plays that are being broken up. Um, by the secondary and setting the off the opposing offense back. But, um, you know, even like 10% more interceptions would be a huge uh, bell cow for the bell cow is not the right, the right word, but would be a huge sea change for this yep. defense to put the offense continually in good positions with a young quarterback um, 
to to take a little bit of pressure off. So uh, they were ridiculous, though. That's all I can say about 2022. I'm just I'm fascinated by the fact that it felt like every game they got better. Kalen King's picks came. They all came, I believe, post Ohio State. So that's middle October or later. He had the pick against Indiana. He had the pick against Michigan State, and then he had the pick in the Rose Bowl. He found his stride once Joey Porter Jr. was out of the equation. Like, we make the point King had all these pass breakups because nobody tried Joey. And then once they had to start trying Kalen King, then he just started picking balls off. It was a really cool thing to watch this group continue to get better. I think Daquan Hardy was a guy we were really excited to watch play in the chaos of Manny Diaz's defense. Let's be honest, he started a little slow. I think he really struggled to find his footing in that defense. But by the end of it, he was playing some pretty good football. I think he really figured out what his role was. Johnny Dixon, again, a guy who came into a crowded room as a transfer and worked his way up that depth chart and still produced. I'm excited to watch him go. But Craig, let's let's shift our focus now to this upcoming season. And I think this first guy deserves his own little chunk when we talk about this room. I thought the streak of no defensive back going in the first round was going to end with Joey. On the Dolphins being cheaters, it didn't. So we'll call <laughs> it a wash. I think Kalen King's a first round pick. What do you think about this guy? I mean, everything that the buzz, um, the 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 mock drafts for 2023 come out the day after the 2022 draft <laughs> ends, et cetera. It's ridiculous. But at the same time, you have the guy, the, the guy in Power 5 that led the nation in pass breakups and who was right behind him um, last year was Kool-Aid McKinstry from Alabama, who is now in the NFL. So if you're looking at, you know, if he has a repeat, there's the unchallenged champion two years in a row of one of the, of the most productive cornerback in the country. He has the size. He's not a slight dude. You know, um, he's not freakish. He doesn't have the freakish arm length that uh, Joey Porter Jr. does. But the thing, like you mentioned, I almost, this keyed for me when you were talking about his increase in interceptions, it got to a point where it almost seemed like he was running the routes for the receivers like oh, he yeah. was where the ball was going to end up being and he knew where it was going better than the receivers did and just like you can't teach that type of positional awareness and those you know a- another thing that he that mentioned in that Howard Griffith interview that has stuck with me from when coach Poindexter and Terry Smith were talking about why they like their DBs to play multiple sports is Kalen said he played outfield in high school he said, you know, it's a lot easier to catch a ball coming down 100 miles an hour when you have a gl- like a baseball glove on. And this just made that drill more challenging. But those guys that play outfield in high school have such higher level of depth perception from the line of the line of scrimmage to how far, many ever many yards back that they're playing on the field. Mm-hmm. that They can understand what the wind can do to a ball, the how, how the ball moves through the air like you are more equipped just to put yourself in the right position to make those plays, whether they're interceptions or pass breakups or whatever, when you have those baseball chops of being a center fielder or a left fielder, when you're chasing balls down in the gap and understanding angles of attack and things like that. And so I think that really, you saw it, it played out and it really benefits uh, benefited him. And it was enlightening and kind of like, uh, obviously that's what they look for 
when they're recruiting, you know, DBs, they want people with multifaceted skill sets. It's not, can you run fast? Can you hit hard? You know, especially at this position, you're looking for some finer, um, finer tuned skills to be able to go up and get the ball and track the ball, et cetera. Tracking the ball, I think Kalen King is, is second to none on Penn State's roster, maybe in the Big Ten. I think he does a phenomenal job identifying where that ball is going to go and putting himself in the right position. And if he can't get there, he does a good job getting his hand on balls and swatting them away. But there were two plays for me last year that stood out as this dude is a different level of cornerback. And one I think a lot of us remember, but the first one I think is really forgotten. And it came against, I believe, Central Michigan where Kalen King got beat on a slant and he goes in there and after the guy secures the catch, this is central Michigan. They're coming off of the Auburn game. They're on top of the world. I I can't even imagine what that must feel like to already have two road wins in September. And even after the slant works and they're able to central Michigan is able to move the sticks. Kalen King forces a fumble and then recovers the fumble in the same play. He did not give up even after initially beat. And to be a corner, you have to be an absolute maniac. You have to be an absolute psychopath to play that position. You have to believe you are the best player on the field on every given play. Because if you don't, it's going to affect the way you go out there and the way you attack a ball and the way you attack a receiver. So to see him, even though he got beat, think that I can still make something happen on this play and then to go out there and do it was a big, it was a really impressive thing for me. Again, that's a pretty big forgotten play. It was pretty inconsequential, but I loved seeing that out of a guy who was a true sophomore at the time. And the second play, the swing route against Ohio State on, I believe, third and four, where who was ever trying to block him, I believe it might be Julian Fleming, has no shot. Emeka Ibuka gets blown up. King fights off anybody out there and brings him down behind the line of scrimmage. And for a guy to go out there and feel comfortable existing in that kind of space is very impressive. He read it well the whole way. That shows me he knows what he's watching when a play is developing in front of him. And that's what you want to see out of young corners. So this is a guy I just think is really cerebral. I think he understands what he has to do in a defense and he has the mentality to go out there and to be great. And this team is really going to miss Joey Porter Jr. I think Joey Porter Jr. was a phenomenal talent and a guy who really developed at a realistic pace like I think Porter redshirting you know he sat behind Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson as a true freshman same class same position at the time look who ended up being in the NFL first I think King from the jump was a guy who was going to go out there and make an impact which means I think his ceiling as a college player can be just a little bit higher and I'm so excited to watch him this fall and Craig you know what I hope happens while I'm watching him this fall what help what 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 do you hope happens? I hope I'm wearing t-shirts, crewnecks, joggers, hoodies, maybe not at this all at the same time. Maybe I'll rotate. Could get hot. And a hat. But could get hot. I could get hot. Yes. And I could have a hat. They have hats too. And of course, we are talking about our friends over at Home Field Apparel. Both myself and Craig, uh, because Craig's a cheater and changed his shirt in between episodes, <laughs> are rocking Home Field Apparel gear. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> they have been our podcast sponsor for over a year now, and they make some of the best collegiate apparel out there in the marketplace today. Again, crewnecks, t-shirts, sweatshirts. I am so excited for the season to come around so I can rock my new Home Field gear. 
our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code RLR23. They're an Indiana-based company here in the heart of Big Ten country. They have almost 30 items in their Penn State collection. They have been great partners to us. They love the Big Ten, even though the Big Ten is now a made-up conference with teams from everywhere. And they go out there and they make sure that everything that they put on a t-shirt, put on an article of clothing, that you understand the history behind it. And they have been great partners to us, and I cannot wait to continue to rock their gear this fall. Again, our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code RLR23. And Craig, where do you want to go next? I think there's two guys here that are very intriguing. So I think King is going to be definitely the guy on the outside. I think Johnny Dixon is definitely the other guy on the outside. I think he's a guy who's going to really come into his own now. Let's stick there, actually. Let's just talk about Johnny Dixon. He's a guy, again, fifth year of college football, third in the program, really stepped up and became an interesting piece for them in the sense that he got sacks a lot. Like, he was a very prolific pass rusher in key situations. The Purdue final drive of the game, Dixon puts him behind the six with a sack. The Ohio State game where Ohio State's threatening and and for some reason Ryan Day doesn't kick the field goal. He tries to get a couple more yards, like eight seconds to go. Dixon gets a sack, forces a CJ Stroud fumble. He's a guy who kept on making big plays. And I don't know who's going to fill that Prowler package role that Jair Brown played, but with how much chaos Johnny Dixon has been able to create, he's a guy I think can really become a household name this fall. Yeah, I agree. I think that you like early in the years uh, against Purdue, maybe you were saying, okay, there's JPJ and Kalen King and there's a drop off and Johnny Dixon is the third corner and he is, he plays like a third corner as it were. But by the end of the season, there was almost no substantial difference in the performance of the unit, whether Porter was playing and King was playing or King was playing and Dixon was playing. And I mean, the kid, worked his butt off obviously but the you know that's a credit to terry smith just to be able to round out his room in a way that in season a guy that has been here for a while not you know not a freshman you know and in college football for a while not a freshman has played at this level for a long time can get that much better in one season i I thought it was remarkable because when again watching the rose bowl he was locked down. It was like ridiculous. He was playing, he played as well as maybe not as well as Kalen King, but he played as well as you can expect a college corner to play in a marquee near six bowl game. Um, and so I think I'm not hundred percent sure if the position, if the role flexibility will remain in the DS defense, just because he is so, um, now so critical, uh, as strictly a cornerback Mm -hmm. like he doesn't have necessarily two first rounders in the same room anymore it's you know one and himself um so maybe someone else needs to pick up that slack but i am very much looking like it's a good problem to have with a very talented room for manny diaz and terry smith to figure out those packages um, and definitely looking forward to seeing how they do that this year. I'm curious if teams, because after what Joey Porter Jr. did against Purdue, 
teams were afraid to throw at him, I think. I think he was that that good in hindsight in that game. I wonder if early on a team makes a mistake and thinks that, you know, you can't throw at Kalen King, so you got to throw at Johnny Dixon. And Dixon makes people learn that's not an option for you in this defense either. And I'm excited to see how he responds to being the Kalen King role that he was last year. So I think he's up for the, I think he's going to answer the bell. I think he's an NFL player. I think he's a Sunday player. Probably late day two, early day three pick is probably the ceiling, which is still perfectly like in the history of Penn State corners. Like that's phenomenal. That's rarefied air. And the other outside guy, I think who's going to be that third guy is, is Cam Miller, North Mm -hmm. Florida native, burned his red shirt playing mostly special teams, but did get a little bit of run. I'm so high on this guy because he more or less scared an all ACC corner and storm duck out of the program in about four months. And that's not a shot at storm duck. Like he is towards the end of his eligibility. He has to go somewhere that guarantees playing time because he's got to try to get paid. Like, I don't want this to come across as a shot to storm duck. I just think Cam Miller is ready to take a pretty big step in year two. I think it's going to come with growing pains and that's fine. I think we can all acknowledge the fact that there's going to be maybe a bigger drop off just because Cam Miller isn't as experienced as a third corner as Dixon was. But I think that's a guy who showed that he is willing to do any role asked of him because he really excelled on special teams. And I'm excited to see what the Cam Miller role evolves into as the year goes on. Yeah, I agree completely. And again, as you said, no shot at Storm Duck, but it when that news dropped, our immediate reaction, I feel like, was Cam Miller must be bawling out to make cb3 a question for storm duck like it wasn't his going to be his guaranteed position coming out of spring and that is remarkable for a guy that got you know as you said pretty limited playing time other than special teams and where he played phenomenally well but only had what do you say five tackles on the entire year so it wasn't like he was in the mix um at cornerback now you say only five tackles in the year but he's a kid that you recognized when the twos came in and you say, oh, that was a nice play or whatever it may be still was like noticeable along with, uh, I, I don't want to spoil the safety preview, but, but along with a guy like my favorite up and comer, KJ Winston, who will Are you, are you joining me an, for safeties? Are you finishing up the I don't know, with me? but whatever. I'm just saying. Because you want to do special teams too. Write it down. I do want to do special teams. Oh man, Craig, it's going to be a I week at you all. and me, buddy. <laughs> 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 no, that's a, that's a good point. And you know, can we actually address this? I've always, I, I don't think you and I have ever talked about this. The uh, the way Franklin handles red shirts now. Going back to 2021, it was just two guys. It was Kalen King and it was Jalen Reed. Guys who played a lot. Like Cam Miller, I'm not saying didn't play a lot because he definitely had a role on special teams. But do you think the staff knew early on really what Cam Miller was going to be as a true corner here? I don't know. I think outside of like Amari Evans, Cam Miller was the one I was most surprised to see his red shirt burned. And I'm curious if that's, maybe I'll get proven wrong that no, this was actually really valuable experience. And now he's playing at like fringe, all big 10 honorable mention level in that third role. I think there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And Mm -hmm. it's a, people look at this, like when Franklin set up the green light, yellow light, red light system, there's fluidity in it. It's not a, you know, it's not a static decision. And I think one thing that has increased the willingness to burn red shirts is the portal because you have to get guys a bigger taste 
the guys that you know are going to be special, even if they are not ready to be performers now, at these types of skill positions, whether it's wide out, cornerback, safety, running back, um, there there are not players that are staying for five years generally that are super talented. Um, you're either going to come up and hit a playing time wall where there's so much talent in front of you and you transfer out, or you can't cut it and you transfer out, or you leave early because you're really stinking good and the next level is where you're destined to be. So I think that the four game limit gives them so much more flexibility to make that determination because they can go in and say, what is the progress from your the first game you played to the fourth game you played? And maybe it's like the seventh game of the season is your fourth game that you've played in. And if that progress is in an upward trajectory rather than a linear trajectory, then there you expect as a coach who is developing these guys, you expect that trajectory to continue and not plateau. So you might as well get them more playing time so that the trajectory continues the next year on the same, you know, upward scale and doesn't level off. And so like, I think Cam Miller, KJ Winston, um, Jalen, Jalen Reed earlier, like these are the types of players that th- this decision paradigm works for. They're not linemen. They're not, you know, when you have some benchmarks that say we need you to be X weight, X strength, understand, you know, all the different moving parts of the line. Um, they There's can depth come there in to and protect make immediate them. impact. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I see what you're saying. I like that. Speaking of depth, Craig, this is, uh, this is Nick's favorite player. I think on the roster, it's up there. I think at least for Nick and it's Daquan Hardy. I have a soft spot for Daquan Hardy because I love it when a three star finds a way to make an impact, especially as like Daquan Hardy wasn't a high ranked three star. I think he was Mac bound before Penn state came in at the 11th hour and gave him a committable offer. And we've seen these guys at the lower end of classes be really productive. Robert Windsor in 2015 was the lowest rated recruit in that class. He got drafted journey Brown, very lowly rated recruit in Western Pennsylvania. He was journey Brown. I think Daquan Hardy impressed me by how early he got on the field. I think the pry defense, he had certain packages designed to really be beneficial to him. And again, he did struggle, I think, in year one in the Diaz defense. But I'm really rooting hard for this guy to make an impact because at, at he's listed, I think, at like 5'9". I don't think he's 5'9". Like, I, I, I think that this is probably the highest level of football he's going to be able to play just by nature of his size. And I want to see him go out there and make an impact in what probably is going to, he is his COVID year, in, but in what is probably going to be his final year of college football. And if that's this chaos player who can make plays behind the line of scrimmage, that's an awesome, awesome role to have. And I guess, Craig, what kind of role do you expect for Daquan Hardy, probably your likely starter in the slot? Yeah, I think that this is, a, a, from a prognostication point, a little bit of a tough, a tough spot because mm-hmm you've seen the success with, with him being um, this jack of all trades, whether he's rushing the passer um, or whatever. If he's just a straight coverage guy, I'm not exactly sure how that holds up because there are some pretty, pretty, pretty excellent receivers in this conference. But also, I mean, I think he has the wherewithal and hopefully development in the second year of this defense 
to stick at that position because it gives them, and again, this is why you hate to lose Storm Duck. It gives them a lot more flexibility if you yeah. can not have to worry about Daquan Hardy. Yeah, I'm I'm aligned with that. I think that I, I really do wonder if his confidence got rattled. I mean, that Purdue game was lightning in a bottle. That was just Sunday players all over the field. Right. Charlie Jones was drafted by the Bengals, I believe. Aiden O'Connell was drafted. Payne Durham is off somewhere. And, you know, he he's he got better. I want to make sure I know that I note that, that he did get better. And I really don't know what to expect of him. So we'll kind of move on because I I don't think I can give an informed analysis over what Daquan Hardy can be in year five. I I hope it's more like what we saw from him in year three than it was year four. I hope it's chaos right. plays, creating havoc, you know, picking balls off when they come his way and, and you know, making big plays. And if you want to call him the fourth corner, I think the slot kind of exists in a separate realm than like the outside corners. Yeah. So there's a couple of newcomers here. I think Elliot Washington, the early enrollee from Florida is probably corner number four. I think, if Cam Miller burned his red shirt, I think Elliot Washington's going to burn his red shirt just because you are likely losing Daquan Hardy, Kalen King, and Johnny Dixon next year. Like Dixon's out of eligibility. King's probably going pro. And again, Hardy is the COVID year. Outside of that, you also brought in Zion Tracy, who I know had a good spring, but was hurt. And they like him a lot. Maybe a red shirt guy. Lamont Payne from Western PA comes in into the room as well. Probably a red shirt guy. And then Adavian Collins, who... Had his red shirt last year at Mississippi State, so he can play every game this year and not lose a year of eligibility. Probably special team guy. If he gets some late reps, that's great. Craig, anybody from this group of newcomers that you're looking at, are you in the same boat as me is probably just by nature of his size. He played in Florida early enrollee. It's probably Elliott Washington as number four yeah. outside corner. I agree. Like his, his recruiting pedigree was, um, very impressive. Mm -hmm. A lot of the sec, a lot of the big 10, you know, a lot of power five schools in there. And so almost by default, I kind of think that you expect that's who will be cornerback for. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I hope that there is an opportunity for him to play a lot early just to get his feet wet in the college football season. And, um, you go from there. That's why I like the red shirt rule, because mm -hmm. let's say for some reason, Drew Aller throws five touchdowns in the first half against West Virginia, then Elliot Washington can play two quarters of football with a team that is going to be throwing a ton. And just if he gets beat, so what, you know, like learning on the fly. So I'm hopeful that there are some opportunities early on, because I think that confidence, whether it be mistakes on tape that they can correct in practice mm -hmm. or really good plays in real time game action, um, can do nothing but help set the table for the rest of his career and you know maybe even the rest of 2023 i they they need they need four corners even four outside in a corners. healthy room yeah yeah even in a healthy room that that's that, that's how many guys are gonna they they can't just three guys cannot take the entire entirety of the season's reps so i think he's gonna basically you're in a position where he's gonna have to put burn a red shirt um, and play more in more than four games, which is fine. I think it's just building up that depth for 2024, but that's a different podcast, which is roughly, uh, 11 and a half months away. Craig, we'll end it the same way we ended our linebacker room. Give me your pick for breakout guy in the Penn state cornerback room. Uh, I'll go with Cam Miller just because. Ooh, okay. I like it. I, I think that Dixon, obviously Kalen King is. Uh, looking at a, a, a first round NFL grade. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think Johnny Dixon has become a known trustable quantity. Um, I think Cam Miller is uh, has the potential to be the next freak in this room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, ex- I think he's going to have a year. You know, we talked about linebackers yesterday when people look back and say, wow, that didn't come out of nowhere, but he's going to have that kind of season where you're like, it's a good thing that guy was on the field as much as he was making plays. For me, that's a great pick. That's I was thinking him, but I'm going to go Johnny Dixon just because in, I feel like a lot of like the national podcasts I listen to, I consume a lot of college football, you know, content. Just, I like it. It's a passion of mine. I think a lot of the questions around this team are, you know, the wide receivers on offense and then defensively, it's defensive tackles. And then how are they going to replace Joey Porter Jr.? And I, I guess I'm not really worried about Johnny Dixon filling that role. But from a national perspective, you see Joey Porter Jr., first round pick and everything but name. Um, the Dolphins are cheaters. Never forget that. Um, and you, you, I understand where you're coming from. But if Dixon can go out there and perform on even like 5% less, I'm sorry, it's a horrible way to word that. Even if he's like, five percent worse than kalen king that's still an elite corner even if he's 15 percent less than kalen king that's still a really good corner so that's what i'm gonna call that's what i'm gonna quantify the breakout in the sense that i don't think nationally people really know who johnny dixon is and i think we're really gonna see that athleticism that let him be a good pass rusher that let him make tackles in the open field really apply now to coverage he's got to clean up some things penalty wise he got called for a couple too many for my liking but overall, I think this is a guy who is going to go out there and make a lot of plays. Probably lead the team in picks just because I think they're going to be afraid to throw to Kalen. So if I had to plant my flag there, at least lead the corners in picks, I'm going to plant my flag sure. um, on the Johnny Dixon. Based on, the- on amount of opportunity yeah, than exactly. anything else. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's my pick there. And Craig, will end it the same way we did linebackers. The 2023 Penn State cornerbacks better or worse than 2022. Man, it is tough to say that you're going to be better mm-hmm. when you lose. I'm going to I'm going oh, to You're torn. No, I'm going to cheat, not cheat. I'm going to cop out. I'm you're going to push. Say, oh, you coward. Yeah, I'm going You push. absolute coward. <laughs> Changing shirts in the in between podcasts and pushing oh. on the oh. cornerback to corner. Okay, God. okay, okay. I trustworthy after six, will, seven will, years of yeah. content together, Craig, this is what I get. I, I, okay. I'll give you something. Okay. Kalen King will have a better year than Joey Porter jr. Okay. And be a top 20 pick in the NFL draft. Okay. Johnny Dixon will have a year that he will get a two, three round grade. Mm-hmm. and he will decide to go to the NFL as well. Okay. And so they will have a better overall year. I don't know how that's possible. They'll have a better overall year because Penn State will be better overall than it was last year. I'm, I'm with you on that. I think this is going to be, I don't know if better is the better word. I think it's going to be a more productive unit. I think they're going to pick off more balls. I think they're going to hold teams in check. I think we can't really, we made it this far, but we haven't mentioned the pass rush yet, but I think we're going to see a big improvement in that pass rush, especially just from the edge rushers on its own. Like, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but Chubb Robinson, Adisa Isaac, Denai Dennis Sutton. 
it was all of their really first times in a long time being hand the dirt edge rushers because of the Achilles injury. Chop was a 3-4 outside linebacker and Sutton was a true freshman. So now your top three guys have a year in under their belt where they can be more productive without bringing linebackers. And I think with all the chaos that's going to create, the corners are going to be the ones to benefit the most. I think no quarterback is dumb enough to throw a duck in the open field, like middle of the field. Corners are dumb. Quarterbacks are dumb enough to throw it to the (laughs) sideline where the sideline is their friend. And that's where I think the corners are really going to benefit. So I'm going to say they're going to be just a little bit better, but I think their stats are going to look a lot better. I think you're going to see a lot more picks. They're going to see a lot more tackles for loss. And I think you're going to see more guys get their hands on footballs. So that's a, that's where I'm going to end things here, Craig. Craig, any final thoughts it. as we we get over the hump? Today is Wednesday when we release this episode. We are another day down, another day closer to football. Any final thoughts on this Penn State cornerback room? I mean, hats off to Terry Smith, man. Mm-hmm. He, is, he has found a system of identifying talent and developing it. Um, and he he's we didn't even mention he's the the did we mention he's the coach the only last coach that's been with franklin since he was hired at penn state um and he's become an institution here and Mm -hmm. uh i think it's awesome that he can have this type of impact at his alma mater um and the room is just so fun to watch yeah he's done he's just done a phenomenal job i think that i think you are what your a position room takes on the embodiment of their coach And when you're ingrained in one position room for 10 years, which is like unheard of in modern college football, I think we're really seeing that room embrace that Terry Smith personality. And they're flying around. They're having fun. They're doing the no-fly zone stuff. And I just think it's a unit that's going to thrive in year two under Manny Diaz. And I cannot wait to watch him get out there. So season's coming up quick. They did not get a pick against – is this correct? Yeah, they didn't get a pick against Purdue last year in the opener. Does this team, does this unit get a pick in the opener against West Virginia? 100%. All right. You heard it here first. Craig is telling you that the Penn State cornerback will register a pick against West Virginia in week one, which is about 17 days away as we drop this episode. Craig, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, be sure to go back and not you, Craig, this is now for the audience, but Craig, thank you for joining me. But audience, be sure to go back and listen to our slew of preview pods from last week where we did the entire offense. So far this week, we have done defensive line. We did linebackers yesterday. Today was corners. Tomorrow will be safeties. And then Friday will be Craig's favorite special teams. Uh, be sure to tune into that where Craig will talk 45 minutes about uh, how to properly down a punt inside the three. Uh, I've seen his PowerPoint on it. It's wildly impressive. It'll blow you away. Thank you. Slides as al- on slides, baby. <laughs> Thank you as always to our partners at Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. Again, that's promo code RLR23 for 15% off your first order. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Leave a comment if you're watching us on YouTube. We love to interact. Be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel. We're really trying to grow big things here as the season draws closer. You can follow us over on I think I'm still going to call it Twitter because why not over at RLR blog. We're also on threads, but I've never posted on there because I forget. And we are also on blue sky. So we are on all the social media networks under the sun, except for Snapchat. Uh, even though I have the login for that, but I think I, I forgot the password. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of roar lions roar for my co-host, Mr. Craig Fritz. I'm Matt Blubovitz. Take care everyone and go state. Go state.